it was like exploring a place that you had seen in a dream, where everything is just where you expect it, and yet everything is a surprise. That was a quote from the beloved children's book series, Swallows and Amazons, and encapsulates a little of the subject of this episode on Arthur Ransom and his fantastic escapes. Hello, my name is Eva, and today we're delving into a few extraordinary days in the life of Arthur Ransom, an adventurer of improbable luck and uncanny timing, with a gift for quick improvisation and a love for the daring. This is a story of a fantastic escape by way of three great bluffs, which relied on a kettle, a coat, and a chess game. The English journalist and author Arthur Ransom was born in the city of Leeds in northern England in 1884. From a young age, he aspired to become an author and pursued his passion for writing and literature through editorial and journalist positions in London while he honed his skills. In 1909, Ransom married Ivy Constance Walker. But the marriage quickly proved unhappy, with Ransom having an appetite for writing and travelling, which was at odds with his wife's demands for him to use his time on her and their daughter Tabitha. In 1912, Ransom published a notable biography on Oscar Wilde. It was well received by critics, but unfortunately for Ransom, it led to a lengthy libel suit with Oscar Wilde's surviving lover, Lord Alfred Douglas. And later that same year, Ransom's publisher was revealed as an embezzler who fled England, taking with him huge amounts of Ransom's profits. With an unhappy marriage, financial worries suffering poor health and an uncertain standing in the literary world, Ransom decided in 1913 to leave wife and country and travel to Russia to research that country's folklore and would stay there for almost six years. But why Russia? Well, Arthur Ransom had been a folklore enthusiast for years and nurtured a passion, perhaps an idealised one, for old Russian culture. He went to Russia to experience this idyllic way of life, which he envisioned played out in small rural settings on the Russian steppe or in the gilded halls of St. Petersburg. As World War I broke out in 1914, Ransom, who was in Russia, became a foreign correspondent for the Daily News and persuaded generals in Russia to take him with them to the front lines, where he reported on the deplorable state of the Russian soldier. But he also passed along information to the British Foreign Secretary. But by 1917... His countrymen had begun to speculate as to where his true alliances lay. Much was written then, and indeed 
much is still written, speculated and talked about concerning Ransom's affiliation with Russia during World War I and the later revolutionary years. Was Ransom on the side of the Bolsheviks or was he merely a proponent of Russian culture? It became evident through his correspondence that Ransom had at least sympathy for the revolutionary cause, having reported firsthand on the disastrous effects of Tsar Nikolai's handling of military affairs and the injustices meted out on workers in the cities. It was also noted in Britain that Ransom had managed, like few other foreigners, to engage and establish contacts with the inner circle of Lenin and Trotsky, eventually meeting his lover and later second wife, Yevgenia Shelepina, through Trotsky, as she was the latter's personal secretary. This caused concern in England. But the powers that be had to admit that the intelligence ransom passed on had always been correct and timely. So was he, after all, a loyal countryman? We shall touch more on this in the next episode. On the other hand, the Russian and later Soviet secret police were also wary of him. Archival documents recently made public make clear that the Bolsheviks treated him in the manner they treated many foreigners, not so much as a friend, but as one whom they might use for their own benefit. As history would attest to, the Bolsheviks were as suspicious of their allies as they indeed were of their enemies. So, this was the setting when Ransom returned to England in 1919 after a six-year absence. Obliged to report to MI5 and the Foreign Secretary, Ransom was persistently questioned on his vocal opposition to Allied intervention in what was increasingly unfolding as a Russian civil war following the Russian October Revolution of 1917, with Ransom having correctly surmised that the Red Army was far stronger than the West realised. But his arguments and reassurance of loyalty to England fell on deaf, or rather fearful ears, and Ransom was forced to hand over his passport, effectively preventing him from returning to Russia to cover the civil war as he wanted and reunite with his lover, Yevgenia, as he desperately wished. This was the predicament which formed the prologue for Arthur Ransom's great escape. For, in truth, Arthur Ransom's great escape was from Russia to Estonia, but the prologue was escape from England to Russia. Having been let go of his job as a foreign correspondent for the Daily News, Ransom managed to find employment with a smaller paper, the Manchester Guardian, under whose umbrella Ransom then could sail abroad. Finding passage on one of the last ships sailing from northern England to the conflict-torn Baltic area, Ransom managed, through sheer luck and timing, to get to Estonia, where he was unsurprisingly received with a great deal of suspicion. 
for exactly why was a foreigner sneaking into Estonia by unorthodox means, without the sanction of his own government, at a time when political tensions in Eastern Europe were rife? Estonia, for its part, had plenty of worries. It was a newly independent country since 1917, but had quite unwillingly become embroiled in the burgeoning civil war in Russia as the White Army, opposing the Bolshevik Red Army, had considerable strongholds in Estonia. However, Ransom approached Estonia's head of state, who was willing to negotiate an armistice with the Bolsheviks. And Ransom managed to put himself forward as a bearer of a peace proposal which he would carry to Moscow. Convincing the Estonians that he had contacts all over Russia, from the front line to the Kremlin, he persuaded them to let him set off for Russia. So far, so good. However, he was given no official status, no transport, nor papers. If he really was as well-connected as he claimed, well, then he would get there on his own. And if he wasn't, well, no good giving him official papers, which might land in the wrong hands. The odds of him making it through the front lines, which were becoming ever more weaponized, were minimal. He would have to, quite literally, walk through villages and forests now inhabited by rifle-bearing partisans who might like to shoot first, ask questions later, and whose loyalties to the whites or to the reds might best be described as fluctuating. In fact, on his way to Russia, Ransom did run into a group of red soldiers who stood him up against a tree, ready to shoot him. Convincing them that he was a close friend of Lenin, who might not take too kindly to him dying so close to Moscow, he amazingly managed to talk the group out of killing him and instead deliver him to their commander, who sent him on his way, in proper fashion, to Moscow. And so, against all odds, Ransom made it all the way to the very closed doors of the Kremlin. Recognized by a guard at the door, Ransom was admitted to that most secretive of power holes in the world, and he delivered the proposition of peace from Estonia. He had no papers on him, no papers with him. He was simply carried into the halls of power by the regard that certain members of the new rule had for him. Ransom, after all, was a man whom Trotsky had accepted advice from. Ransom was a man whom Lenin tolerated. Ransom was a correspondent who had written positively about Levitnov, the Russian diplomat who actually received the Estonian message and who then commanded Ransom to return to Estonia with a favourable reply. So his mission was accomplished, yes, but the outcome of it was rather more unexpected than Ransom had anticipated. He had returned to Russia to cover the civil war and be reunited with his lover, but now he was being used as the courier he had pretended to be by a government 
not given to accepting a no thank you as politely as he would. Additionally, the Bolshevik government demanded he return to Estonia by the same dangerous route by which he had entered Russia, again with no papers or letters of safe conduct. He was commanded to leave within days. So, what to do? For most of his allies and his sometimes friends were on the Bolshevik side of the emerging civil war. But in 1919, the military opposition, known as the White Army, they were still strong and would surely see him as an enemy combatant were he to stray into their territory. And in 1919, territory and alliances were ever-shifting in those confusing times. Ransom would have to be clever, careful and creative if he was to reach Estonia alive. So he laid plans. First, Ransom retrieved an old army greatcoat which he had used during the Great War. It was late summer by this time and it might come in handy. Then he petitioned, he begged, petitioned and begged some more for the unthinkable, for Yevgenia Shelepina, his lover, to go to Estonia with him. Why was this improbable? Because she was Trotsky's personal secretary, a woman privy to state secrets such as few others. Arguing that he would never let her fall into enemy hands, with all that implies he actually managed to convince the authorities to let Yevgenia accompany him. It might have helped that Trotsky was preoccupied with the civil war and organizing the Red Army, tasks that Yevgenia knew nothing about. But considering how paranoid the Soviet state would become only a few years later, their joint escape out of Moscow was nothing short of excellent timing. And so... Accompanied by Yevgenia, who said farewell to her family and carried with her her most prized possession, a copper tea kettle, Arthur Ransom and Yevgenia set out for Estonia, figuratively and literally escaping Russia before that would become nigh impossible only a few months later when movement was restricted, people were arrested and imprisoned as violence escalated. But that was all in the future. In the present, in 1919, Ransom would need to embark on three fantastic bluffs to successfully navigate three major challenges as he and his lover attempted to get to Estonia. Travelling through the vast rural landscape of Western Russia, the couple found themselves compelled to seek refuge with a peasant family one late summer evening. As the evening wore on, Ransom overheard the family speaking about him. He was clearly a city man rather than a fellow peasant. Might he and his companion be nobles fleeing to the west with precious possessions on their cart? Such a sight, after all, was becoming quite common and sometimes there was money to be made from such people. Ransom listened with increasing unease as the family considered turning him 
and Yevgenia over to the authorities. And while the authorities might be his allies, the Reds, there was no way of knowing if the actual local authorities were in fact the White Army. However, the family hesitated, for it was already becoming apparent in 1919 that denouncing suspicious persons to the authorities, whoever they might be, might see yourself interrogated alongside the denounced. As smiles remained stuck on all the nervous faces and tension inside the hut became so thick it might have been cut with a knife, it was Yevgenia who now joined the family's conversation. Remarking that she was going to the West and would therefore have no need for her fine copper kettle, she humbly asked if it might stay with the family for them to use. It was a bribe, an elegant one, but still a bribe. And it was readily, happily and astonishingly accepted. Yevgenia and Ransom spent a restless night in the hut before being sent peacefully on their way in the morning. Now the sources for all this is actually Ransom's own diary. And he actually downplayed his heroic performance, but they do coincide with what the Soviet secret police wrote about him. So, confidence, an air of humility, and a fine piece of copper were the ingredients of the first bluff. The couple traveled on, traversing the vast tigers of Western Russia, and here, the second challenge hit them head-on as they neared the battlegrounds where the Red Army was fighting a vicious battle against the embittered White Army. On a chilly morning, Ransom and Yevgenia happened across a small group of armed men in a forest clearing some few hundred miles west of St. Petersburg. The men were insurgents. Of that there was no doubt. But on which side? Ransom and Yevgenia approached slowly, and as they overheard snippets of the conversation, Ransom turned up the collar of his old greatcoat, told Yevgenia to walk behind him, while he marched up to the men and demanded to know their unit. The men were locals fighting with the White Army, but recognizing Ransom's greatcoat as one borne by Imperial officers of the Great War, they assumed he was an officer of the White Army, and Ransom played the part. Claiming he was a foreign advisor with the White Army, he said he had been sent out to scout the area, and he ordered the men to find him decent accommodation and care for his cart horse. With the air of a British aristocrat speaking passable Russian, Ransom pulled it off. He and Yevgenia were escorted to a provisional headquarters, Hot water was drawn for a bath, a meal prepared, a bed made up. The men asked for orders, but as the new officer told them, secrecy was the key. The next morning, Ransom and Yevgenia were reunited with their now well-brushed and well-fed cart horse and cheered on their way by insurgents believing them to be the future heroes of the fight against the Reds. Again, what a stunt! 
for Ransom had to keep up the pretense of being an officer, not for a minute, not for an hour, but for an evening, night and morning, knowing that a quick bullet might find his neck at any time should suspicion arise in his new friends. But it didn't, and he survived once again. This time, it was the authority and old-world tradition stitched into the very fabric of a faded great coat, which was instrumental in the success of the second bluff. But as amazing as these two first escapes had been, the third challenge would prove the most difficult. For in that, Ransom would meet a man who had every possibility to call Ransom's bluff rather than the other way round. For Ransom would come face to face with a man from his past, a man who would tolerate no deviation from the course which he considered right and honourable. So next time, Ransom's third bluff, a chess game to determine life and death and the aftermath of a battle of minds. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to Restless Times in History, as it really does wonders for the algorithm and for this podcast being noticed. I hope you are still enjoying a really great summer. And until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>